volunteered to dance. In what? Oh, that'd be amazing. <clears throat> and, uh, yes. Well, good evening, y'all. Look at the brave. The brave who came. Look at that, Dr. Yes, Myers. Look at that. All right, we're proud of y'all. I do like that they're really sitting far back, mm -hmm. but that's okay. So tonight we're going to delve into sex and spirituality. This has been sort of the culmination of the whole uh, 10 weeks. People have been mm -hmm. interested where we're going to get to this point, so here we are. This will be a two-week session in which we'll be talking about these two aspects of marriage. You always want that? Okay, hang on. Large. There you go. You okay? A little. You're so needy. Okay. Wait. I'm trying to scoot over. <laughs> Do you need some readers? I got it. You good? Yep. Y'all good? Yep. You on target? Yep. All right. <laughs> you want to open us in prayer? Yes. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for tonight. We thank you for, again, for the privilege of you just allowing us to come together as a family to, to learn of you and to gather and to grow together. I know there's a reason that you said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together and how much we need each other. Uh, we need each other just socially and spiritually and emotionally and mentally, we need this interaction. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for the people that are here tonight and what we're going to learn from each other, what we're going to learn mostly about you. Father, I hope that tonight strengthens our marriages and that we would be less vulnerable than ever before from the deceptions of the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you know, I really thought by the time we hit 2015 that within the church, the topic of sex would be something we would be a lot more comfortable in discussing, that it would be something that would be far more open, and yet experientially that's really not what I'm seeing at a pastoral level at all. I'm somewhat amazed that I still have parents who have 12, 13, 14-year-olds coming to me and saying, when do you think we should talk to little Johnny about sex? And I'm like, you might be getting tips from him, actually, at this point, if you've waited until he's 12, 13, 14 years old. We just don't seem to have kept pace. And Jimmy and I, in the practice that he has with patients and the people that I chat with and, and help them unpack some of their issues, we just really aren't seeing people becoming more and more open to discussing this. And yet we have a culture that's screaming it all the time. And so we have some ground that we need to take back. Uh, it is time to take background for what God intends for our marriages and for the conversations we should be having about sexuality and sensuality within marriage. It's time for us to take ground back for our kids. It's time to get over it if it's a topic we're uncomfortable with. That just doesn't cut it anymore. It, we just can't be shy and tentative anymore because the enemy is making such strides. And we, we have mistaken... Um naivete with um, purity. purity. Yeah. I had a, 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 a client come in, he was 14, 14 years old, soon to turn 15. And, you know, in the, yeah, I always tell kids, you know, ask anything about anything, whatever, you, whatever you want to start, ask any issue, any question, any topic. And this 14, about to turn 15, so he's about to get his learner permit to drive a motor vehicle. And <clears throat> he said, yeah, I got a question. I said, shoot. He said, well, I know that the egg is in the girl, and I know that the sperm are in the guy, but how do they get together? And I know the mom was probably proud 
that he was that innocent, that was not something to be proud of. Um, you know, that mom had bought into the idea that we can't talk about this, it's taboo, it's dirty, uh, and therefore it's to be absolutely shunned and locked away, not to be discussed. What that little boy soon had happen is he was eaten alive by the environment in which he lived. So we don't need to take ignorance or naivete as being pure. Um, actually, we need to equip ourselves um, to, to, again, and we've talked about this in parenting before, but we shouldn't be afraid of culture. We should train ourselves and train our children up to engage culture and win the engagement and keeping them ignorant uh, of things that their body is screaming at them about uh, is not a way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think for, for some of us, you know, we were raised in homes where it was not an open discussion. And so then we're going on to mm -hmm. emulate to the next generation what this is. Or people have shame in their backgrounds. One of a church that Mike and I attended for a while that was comprised of a really interesting subgroup were a lot of people who had not been saved until their late 20s, early 30s. So statistically, a huge anomaly in terms of a group coming to the Lord. Because statistically, we know that for most people, if they don't encounter Jesus and make a commitment to him in their teens, the odds they will come to him in their 20s or 30s are pretty rare. So this complete congregation was really comprised of some real outliers in terms of statistics. And yet, because so many of them had made so many mistakes in their sexuality, that they were, they were wild ones back in the day, they were probably one of the most oppressive groups about not discussing it with their kids. And in watching their children now coming into young adulthood, it's stunning to me the mistakes and issues that some of these kids have had with parents who had great intention, with parents who were really wanting to keep their kids as pure as they could, but that naivete did not serve them well. So it's time to take that ground. Especially when we consider that the numbers are pretty much the same for Christian kids as they are for non-Christian kids. Our approach to sexuality simply isn't working. We have as many Christians living together before marriage than non-Christians living together before marriage. So the way we've been doing this as a church and within families within the church simply isn't working. So again, if we go back to the, if we keep doing the same thing the same way, expect we've got to change the way we're dealing with sexuality in the church and in our families. And that starts with how we deal with sexuality in our marriages. So, so we're calling that we need, we have, there's a need for an open dialogue. It needs to be something that we can discuss. It should be something that we discuss. It is something that we should be equipping from the pastoral level all the way through. And it should be something that we are giving people permission to talk about. Now I'm all about having appropriate healthy boundaries about what we talk about. The word says that we're not supposed to engage in coarse joking and, and those kinds of things. And absolutely, we want to honor what the word says. And yet it's not wrong or off topic to discuss sexuality because it's such a huge part, a huge core of what marriage is supposed to be. And if we're going to make families strong, we've got to have strong marriages and we've got to make sure that all the recipes and parts and pieces that are supposed to go into strong marriages are equipped have great understanding, have wisdom, have knowledge, have freedom to be discussed. One of the things that Jimmy and I talked about in preparing for this 
that is really interesting. While we're still using some of the old methodology and we're still telling ourselves that our kids don't need to know about this stuff until they're 12, 13, 14 years old and, and we're not really having open dialogue in a way that's constructive. Maybe there's some complaining that goes on with a girlfriend over coffee or a guy that you have time with out on the tennis court or whatever. But because we're not engaging in true constructive dialogue, what's interesting is culture is just speeding on past us. When I was getting my degree in psych a million years ago, we didn't, there was no category to talk about female pedophilia. It just didn't happen. And now we have this huge population of all these different, particularly within the teaching profession, women who get involved sexually with their 13, 14, 15-year-old students. It's, it's just flooring to any of us who were studying those kind of things back in the day because we didn't see it coming. For years and years, we, you could just kind of just dismiss that a woman would ever be involved in pornography. It just didn't happen that often. They were not stimulated visually. They weren't stimulated visually. You didn't worry about it. There were there were some inroads that different uh, pornography marketers tried to make. They were failures. Now, we've got, depending on who you're reading, 45% of women looking at pornography. Yes, Christian women actively engaged in pornography. This is a brave new world, in a sense. Because we are having to equip ourselves quickly to begin to understand what that shift is. Females are becoming more visual. The other thing that I find really fascinating is there's what I call a reverse sexism. I'm having the experience of getting on Facebook and seeing some of my darlings in women's ministry who've all ganged up and gone to go see Magic Mike together. And I'm thinking, if a group of guys from this church all got together and posted on Facebook that they were going to go see a movie about strippers, we'd be talking about it. We'd be saying that was a problem, that there was objectification. And yet, oddly, we're not having the same conversations about this shift within a female culture. And so we're trying to keep up. <laughs> we want to make sure you're keeping up. And these are some of the new elements that are entering into the conversation about sexuality when it comes to our marriages, the places we need to be cautious, the places we need to be really bold and speak up, the places that we need to put down better boundaries. These are you know, part of the recipe that, that leads us to some really great concern. We also know based on your feedback through surveys, based on a couple of other classes we've taught where people have sent in their questions, that this particular topic is really, really massive within marriages. It's something that just continues to come up, people seeking answers, seeking information, wanting to know. And so we want this to be a safe place to be able to talk about it. We want it to be an appropriate place to discuss it. And hopefully you will have some good insight and some good tools as we continue through these next two weeks. All right. Um, could you make that really, really big? I'm going to... I just can't move Can it over. Move it that I'm, way? I'm trying. I'm trying. We are at the limits of my technological ability. Okay. Could you make that go a few over? <laughs> just go to the next slide and the next one. There you go. All right. Now put that one up. Yeah. <laughs> God's view of sex. Yeah, the next one. Yeah. <laughs> is not steeped in shame and considered to be taboo. It isn't. Um, <clears throat> in fact, when, when, I've told you all this story, so I'm not going to tell you again, but my conversation with a Christian nudist, um, where he reminded me that we were created in the nude. And remember, it was, it was, you know, Adam that said, you know, well, we were ashamed that we were nude. Therefore, you know, we made these covers. And, you know, God says, who told you that? Well, who told him that? Satan. 
God's original intent with our bodies, our sexuality, was not to be steeped in shame or considered to be taboo. And yet, our Puritan background has made it such. There's a reason that, that communi- the, the big three of all the, the couple check-in, that the big three was communication, conflict resolution, and sex. Because if we were talking, sex probably wouldn't be one of the top three problems. If we were able to resolve conflict, it probably wouldn't be in the top three. So sex is sort of a byproduct of our marriages not being able to talk about things um, you know, and resolve conflict. But when it comes to sexuality, that tends to be this subject that you've heard it say like in politics, the third rail. You know, the, in a subway, if you touch the third rail, that's the one that's electrified and it'll kill you. So you just never touch the third rail. Well, sexuality tends to be that in Christian homes. We can't talk about it. We can't acknowledge it. The only way that we will even admit that it exists is ever so often a baby pops out. <laughs> in fact, when I was in fourth grade, so I don't know what, 10, 10-ish? I don't know why, but I knew what the F word was. Don't ask, because I don't know. But I did. I knew what that was. And I was walking home with my friend Phil Massey. And he said, well, you know, people F to have babies. And I said, well, that's gross. That is absolutely not true. Uh, Everyone knows that if you love each other, the proof that you love each other is that a baby comes out. Who doesn't know that? He said, no, people have to have babies. So when I got home, I walked in the back door and my mom was doing dishes or something. And I said, mom, do people have to have babies? And... um, uh, she swallowed her gum, and that was a whole Heimlich <laughs> kind of a thing. But uh, we, we have taken it in, the Christian, in Christian families specifically, and we just do not talk about it. We don't express sexuality in front of our kids. And I tell men this all the time. You've got to be outwardly sexually expressive, to go up and kiss your wife, slap her on the rear end while she's doing the dishes. Your children need to see that. And I was reading an article, and I think I shared this at a first appointment once, but if, if our children don't see us sexually pursue their mother, and the only girls that they ever see that are, when they're young that are sexually pursued are the swimsuit models on television or whatever sex objects are on television or whatever, then they start thinking, well, those are the only people that are worth. That's one of the things that spurs the desire for pornography because those are the only women that are sexually desirable. And we need to teach them from an early age, no, your mom is. Your mom is sexually desirable and you need to see that I find her sexually attractive. Um, so God didn't view it this way. We shouldn't view it either. Oh, thank you. I know. All right. To see sex as being dirty is to accept culture's pornographic view of sex. Since God didn't view it as shameful and taboo, if we do, well, why do we? I mean, all you got to do is read the Song of Solomon and have you ever seen that where if they did, they put a woman together with all the descriptions in the song? Have y'all seen that? 
you know, breasts like hay bales and, you know, a, a neck like a tower of Babel and all this. It's, it's quite funny. But if you just read that, you find that sex is not just for procreation. Sex is for enjoyment. They enjoyed each other's bodies. And that's in the B-I-B-L-E. And I don't know about you, but that's the book for me. <laughs> and yet we just ignore that. And we somehow want to think that it's glorifying God for us to consider his, because he thought of sex. It was his idea. The Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were in a room and go, no, 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 I got it, got it, got it. Think, just go with me on this. How about if we put that there? Oh, that's brilliant. It was their idea. It wasn't the Internet's idea, Larry Flint with Hustle and Magic. It wasn't Hugh Hefner's idea. It was God's idea. And we're the one that has stamped shame on it. And it's not shameful. And for us to consider it dirty and shameful must mean that we're agreeing with a secular pornographic view of sexuality, which is the furthest things from God's intent of sexuality that we could possibly get. You know, sex today is like yoga or, I don't know, just like gymnastics. We almost, we, a 9.3 from the East German judge. It's like this <laughs> physical thing. We got to work how many, you know, positions of the Kama Sutra can we get through in one night? Personal record is six, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> So if we're going to say that sex is shameful, it's for us to agree with secular culture in their kind of pornographic view of sexuality. And I just say, no, not at all. Number three. Um, is that the one? Okay. We've talked about this before. Simmer down. All right, your marriage, uh-oh, yeah, your marriage relationship, yeah, I tell this people, I think I've told you guys this before as well, so we'll just kind of cover some ground that we've already covered. As a therapist, let me see your marriage and I'll tell you what your walk with God is. Don't have people in marriage counseling whose walk with God is fantastic. You just, you tend not to see that because those those marital issues tend to be reflected in some spiritual issues. And so let me see your marriage and I'll be able to see your walk with God. But also show me your sex life and I'll be able to show you your marriage relationship. That is also true because you're not going to just have this fantastic marriage and your, your sex life is just horrible. You won't see it? Or just, woo, great sex life, but your marriage is horrible. In fact, if that is true, that's even scarier. There's a lot of other stuff going on. So if your sex life reflects your marriage relationship and your marriage relationship reflects your walk with God, if you just do the algebra, then show me your sex life and I'll show you your walk with God. Those two things are, are, are very much linked. And they are linked for a good reason. Because the intimacy of sexuality is the closest thing that we have to the intimate spiritual relationship that we have with God. If sex is what God intended for it to be, which is a very much a spiritual experience. Think about that. 
Sex and God are not on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're on the same. When we have great sex, it's like a worship service. It's honoring God. It's high-fiving God. It's looking at your wife naked and go, God, nice. It's an appreciation of his workmanship. It's, it's understanding why Paul said that husband and wife is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. That it's a, have you heard this at a wedding? It's a holy institution. And sex is part of that, which is why sex is important. It's probably not the, the most important thing, guys, but it's also not unimportant, ladies. Um, you, t- you tell young guys, you know, they're just like, whoo, <laughs> once I can get married, I'll have sex 24-7. <laughs> oh, you sad little boy. <laughs> um, so our sexual relationship is what makes us not roommates. It makes us not simply partners in raising our children. It's the thing. Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about sex the way God intended it. Because I don't care how many sexual partners you've had. You could have 500 sex partners. But until you get married, have a relationship with Christ, you have no idea what sex is intended to be. Because it's not just a physical act to have an orgasm. And yet that's exactly what a pornographic secular culture would want you to believe. It's a spiritual connection unlike any other, which is why it's important. And it cannot be degraded uh, as something unimportant in a relationship. Uh, Yeah. Another reason why it's important is it's the single largest target on our back as a married couple. There's not even a close second. Sex is where Satan hits us. And I would say he hits us below the belt, but that, you get what I'm saying. That's, that is the biggest issue that marriages have, bar none. And it's what Satan uses to drive a wedge between us. So if we know that churches are made up of families and families at their core are marriages, then how is Satan attacking the church? By attacking our marriages. And how is he primarily attacking our marriages? Through our sex lives. And yet we refuse to even talk about it. So, what's my last one? I thought it was really good. It's really good. It's really um, good. If you as a couple can't talk about your sexual relationship without tension and defensiveness, then Satan has you right where he wants you. Which is why we're here tonight. Just to talk frankly and openly about sex. In fact, just the other night, Beth and I were having sex, and I said, no, I'm not scared. <laughs> yes, there is there's a boundary for, for coarse humor and that type of stuff, but there's also, especially in here, because when we're talking, it's one thing to talk about sex from a biological point of view. It's another thing to talk about sex from a spiritual, biblical point of view. That's something good for us to talk about. It's healthy for us to talk about. And it's also thumbing our nose at the evil one saying we're not going to be silent about the biggest obstacle that you throw in front of our our families. 
We're just not going to do that anymore. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about it openly. Now, we've got a video clip that is a TED Talk, uh, and it's from a lady by, it's called The Sex Starved Marriage, and her name is Michelle Wiener, I kid you not. Davis, hyphen Davis. But I can't get past the Wiener. Her name is Wiener. You can't make it up. So, listen intently, because what she has to say, and she's not a Christian um, yeah, she's just a psychotherapist that, that works primarily with couples um, as a sex therapist. But listen to her, Michelle Wiener Davis, The Sex Starved Marriage.